Today's broadcast originally aired on January 29th, 2024. So many people make this about politics, that they, they want to support him for whatever reason or because they've done it in the past and they pretend that he is not who he is. And they're all lying, lying to protect a pathological liar. And it's, it's about time that these people look themselves in the mirror and start telling the truth. Okay, it's better for them in the long run to start telling the truth and admit that they've been covering up for a sexual predator, mm -hmm. a criminal, mm -hmm. a thief, mm -hmm. a man who does not deserve to hold any office, let alone the highest office in the land. But this is, again, it's not about politics. It's about right and wrong. Right. It absolutely is, George Conway. Conservative attorney. That's why I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 uh, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, and KKRN up in Round Mountain. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. We can be heard in Lanchester, Pennsylvania on W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast -coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and... All-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. It has been quite an eventful day or three since we last spoke to you. On our uh, final show last week, we detailed the uh, four-month prison sentence that was meted out to in federal court to former Trump White House advisor Pete Navarro for contempt of Congress for his unlawful refusal to answer two subpoenas from the bipartisan House Select Committee investigating the Donald Trump incited January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And we rolled through the state Republican uh, parties, the state parties, in three different key swing states that seem to be falling apart from the top down as three state GOP chairs in recent weeks in Michigan, Florida and now Arizona last week have been ousted after uh, allegations in the various cases of incompetence 
or sexual assault or bribery. That was late last week. Of course, uh, as we noted, a fish rots from the head down. So the rot and corruption that we are now seeing throughout the Republican Party at both the federal and state levels begins with the leader of their party, its current frontrunner for the 2024 presidential nomination, one Donald J. Trump. And when it came to the accountability storm that is now just beginning to finally set in for the once grand old party, it was Donald J. Trump who faced the biggest thunderclap of the week late last week following on a Verdict by a nine-person jury uh, last year finding Donald Trump liable for sexual assault of writer E. Jean Carroll and subsequent defamatory lies about her. Well, that resulted, as you may recall, in some $5 million awarded by the jury to Ms. Carroll. Well, last Friday, a second nine-person jury also in federal court, determined further damages in the case stemming from Trump's repeated and persistent defamation of E. Jean Carroll while he served as president of the United States and even after the first jury had already determined he was liable to the tune of $5 million. So, as I hope you have heard by now, That second federal jury, reportedly composed of seven men and two women, a majority of them white for the uh, for the MAGA folks that may be listening along today. But we'll get to you guys in a minute here, along with my guest. Uh, That jury determined the amount for damages in the uh, in the case that Trump now must pay to E. Jean Carroll to be $7.3 million in compensatory damages, $11 million to tried to help repair her reputation, and a stunning $65 million in punitive damages to the former president and the, I guess, still current frontrunner in the Republican Party for the nomination in 2024. $65 million in punitive damages, that's punishment in hopes that he will finally stop his defamation of Carol once and for all. The verdict came out. In total, just that uh, second trial there, to $83.3 million that Donald Trump must now pay up. Add that to the previous $5 million or so in the first case, and Trump now owes E. Jean Carroll nearly $90 million. Of course, that's no problem for a guy who claimed during a uh, recent deposition in the case that he had some $400 million in cash on hand. We'll see if he was telling the truth about that. I, I, I know he's not known for, you know, lying about such things. Am I right, Desi Doyle? Um, this is true. He to... is known for inflating his oh, uh, wealth. But, yeah. you know, we shall see what he actually has on hand. We will see. Uh, because also this week we are expecting a ruling in a separate case in New York. That would be the $370 million civil bank tax an insurance fraud case brought by New York State Attorney General Letitia James against the former president, his company, and its top executives, including Donald Trump's two eldest sons, Eric and Don Jr. Now, in that case, the defendants have already 
been found liable for fraud uh, by the judge. And now the only remaining question is how much state judge Arthur Angoron will hold them accountable for. The number in that case is expected to be in the hundreds of millions. The judge said he's going to come in with a ruling on that before the end of the month. We'll see if he is on time. If so, by Wednesday, we should know. Uh, well, uh, will he be uh, charged some $370 million, as the attorney general is asking, and for him to be excluded from ever participating in the real estate industry in New York ever again? So, you know, $100 million here, $100 million there. Eventually, we're talking about real money for the guy who is still, incredibly enough, considered to be the front runner for the Republican Party's nomination to the president of the United States this year. Can that hold? Can that really continue to be the case as all of this moves forward and one judge and jury after another, especially this week when the New York judge uh, very well may determine that Donald Trump is to be banned from the real estate market in New York for life? Can that really hold? Will he continue to be the front runner? Now, those who follow the Bradcast and the Brad Blog, which, by the way, bradblog.com has now turned 20 years old. We are celebrating uh, that this week at bradblog.com. So my uh, quick thanks, by the way, to those readers and listeners who have supported our work now for two decades. Two decades and zero rape lawsuits or settlements. Uh, two decades. Uh, thanks to those of you who have helped us keep up our troublemaking and muckraking on the blog and over the public airwaves for all of these years. In any event, those who have followed our work in recent weeks and months know that I have been, well, uh, somewhat swimming upstream against the uh, conventional wisdom when it comes to whether Donald Trump will really be the nominee on the ballot by the time we get to November Election Day this year. I recognize for the moment that it would be a smart bet to assume that he will be, but I am not yet convinced that that will be the case. Uh, well, you know, whenever we've had our friends on old school bloggers like Heather Digby Parton of Salon, Drift Glass of the Professional uh, Left podcast, whenever they've been on the program in recent months for our special coverage analysis of the ridiculous 2024 GOP presidential debates, for example, or the following the recent first in the nation primaries and caucuses in Iowa and New Hampshire, Whenever I've had them on the show, I've pressed them on this and they've told me that, yes, Donald Trump will absolutely be on the ballot as the Republican nominee this year. And I think, Desi Doyen, you tend to agree with them yeah. every time I bring this up. I do tend to agree that, you know, with all things pointing in the direction that they're pointing, it does seem likely that Trump is going to be the nominee, at least according to, you know, people who are calling themselves Republican voters. Seem, That's who they say they want to vote for. Seems, so. seems likely. I noticed already a softening in your position there, <laughs> well, Des, listen, for the last I, you time know, I asked you about As I think we have discussed uh -huh. the options of things that could happen that could derail that. And I, you know, we may see something happening. We may see some softening yeah. of Trump's support after all of these well, other, other lawsuits and trials correct. and criminal charges get underway. Correct. But it's not as if we didn't know these things were coming. Now, I, to be frank, they're probably right. Desi is probably right, even though she seems to be waffling a little bit. <laughs> today. No, but uh, they're probably right. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned to uh, D Digby and Driftglass last week, I am I'm not there yet. We'll see. 
Why am I not there yet? Well, I'm not sure that all of the accountability that Trump will be facing this year has been fully factored in on the Republican side of the equation amongst the Republican electorate. It still seems quite possible to me with nearly $85 million verdicts like the one that we saw last week against Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case and what could be some $300 million or more in the New York fraud case within the next day or two. It seems that we could see a shift in the electorate on the right. Of course, those two rulings uh, that I mentioned, uh, E. Jean Carroll last week, New York fraud coming up this week, they come in before we even get to the four criminal cases that Donald Trump is facing and the 91 criminal felony charges within. That he's going to have to, you know, go to court in four different venues this year, not to mention the fact that the Supreme Court's hearing is next week and their eventual ruling on whether Donald Trump is even qualified to be on the ballot this year at all after having engaged in an insurrection against the U.S. government in apparent violation of the Constitution's insurrectionist disqualification clause. That would be Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, for those of you keeping track at home. So is it possible that this will be looked back upon by history as the week that everything finally began to change, that Republicans finally began to notice what was going on? Or am I, as my friends Digby and Driftglass and my former friend Desi continue to tell me, very funny, <laughs> am I out of my mind? Uh, that there is no turning back for the Republicans this year. They picked their dog and they're going with it. Now, I had planned uh, today to have a guest on to discuss some different, if related, matters. A man who joined us on the show a few months back uh, today to discuss uh, his, 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 well, he joined us a few months back to discuss his recent uh, conversion away from what he has described as the cult of MAGA. He, he was a, the real deal, a real ultra-MAGA dude, as they call them. He recently uh, wrote at Salon about some of the MAGA myths, specifically regarding race and the Confederacy, and even Nikki Haley, who has of late been repeating some of those long-held right-wing myths about racism and the Confederacy. We will still talk about those things with him, but first... Uh, I'm hoping as the uh, broadcast's sort of MAGA whisperer, he may be able to shed some insight on how Republicans now, at least those who still support Donald Trump, may now be seeing things as Donald Trump's fortunes do appear to be turning much, much darker. Rich Logis is a now former member of the Republican Party after spending years in what he describes as the cult of MAGA. He voted for Donald Trump in both 2016 and the 2020 election. And as we discussed last time he was on, he has a few dozen MAGA hats to prove it. He is or was a longtime right-wing pundit, but now, after finally leaving MAGA, he has uh, become the founder of our uh, the founder of PerfectOurUnion.us, an organization dedicated to healing political traumatization, building diverse pro-democracy alliances, and yes, perfecting our union. Rich Logis, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Oh, Brad, thank you so much for having me. And let me just congratulate you on 20 years. That is 
really impressive. And I mean that, especially in this punditry market that we're in, <laughs> uh, the fact that you've lasted this long, it means that people really care about what you and Desi have to say. And uh, I'm really happy and honored to be here today. And I don't think you're entirely out of your mind, but uh-huh. I'm I'm going to meet you halfway. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to be di- I'm going to be diplomatic here okay. with everyone. Okay, uh, I I think that there are going to be enough primary voters who are going to turn out, and that will result in the former president being the nominee. Mm-hmm. Now there are some possibilities that there could be, for example, a brokered convention where the delegates show up in Milwaukee in July and they decide, no, we don't want Mr. Trump. We'll support whomever brokered for Mickey Haley, Mike mm-hmm. Pence, whomever it might be. Uh, I think that's theoretically possible, but every indication behaviorally of the Republican Party right now is that that is not going to happen. And viewers and listeners it would be best to remember that the general election candidate is chosen by the primary voters. And Mm -hmm. I always like to preface this point by saying that as someone who was in MAGA for seven years, uh, I'm I'm not registered with any party right now. I am registered to vote, but not with any party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most MAGA voters are good people deep down. And I think that there were some good reasons for supporting Mr. Trump's candidacy. But unfortunately, the relationship between most MAGA Americans and Donald Trump is a very toxic one. And while I don't defend ignorance, MAGA Americans have been traumatized by Trump and the right wing and the Republican Party. Uh, They just have a skill set at keeping MAGA Americans desperate and panicked. And whether it's the Mm -hmm. Gene Carroll cases or the New York case or the Georgia case or the two federal cases for The vast majority of MAGA Americans, they believe that those cases are as a result of weaponization of law enforcement. And unfortunately, Brad, I I think that it has the reverse effect that rather than create doubt, I think it's only going to strengthen the already strong bond Mm -hmm. between Trump and MAGA Americans. Well, let let me... well, that's where I want to say. That's where I want to meet you halfway. But, mm-hmm. but please, sorry, it didn't, mean, it didn't mean to interrupt because I've got, I've got what might be. I think I've got a positive news about that comment. Okay, well, I, I want to, I do want to get to that, and uh, thank you for the kind words about our, our uh, twenty years in this. Uh, although I should note that twenty years ago, Rich Logish, you exactly were the type of guy I was calling out on this show. So I'm glad you're now uh, that we're finding at least a, a middle ground here. But I do dis- I, I do sense a disturbance in the force, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that things like this nearly $90 million verdict, this perhaps $300 million verdict to come in, uh, that could come in this week in the New York civil fraud trial, not to mention the fallout from the criminal cases. Uh, SCOTUS could even determine he may not, he, you know, he may be disqualified from the ballot. Uh, maybe among the MAGA set, they're fine with it. You can tell me. But I'm not sure that all of those things have been factored in, you know, particularly among those who still consider themselves to be Republican, uh, but may not necessarily consider themselves as MAGA. A- am I crazy? Am I merely wish casting uh, here on my part as you see it? Not not crazy. And I do think, to to your point, I do think that there are some MAGA Americans who probably won't vote in the primaries. So here's where I'm going to, I think, hopefully, optimistically, meet you halfway on the comment. Mm-hmm. So 
we have to keep in mind that any MAGA American who doesn't vote in the primary, for whatever reason, they don't cast a vote at all, mm-hmm. most likely they are going to vote in the general election for, for President Trump. Now, here's where I, I think is some reason to be optimistic. And I'm not, I want to preface by mm-hmm. saying that no one should construe these remarks I'm going to make as reason not to vote. Okay. And I don't say it's, I don't say it's self-aggrandizingly, but I have a pretty good track record of prognostications. Mm-hmm. I thought I went on public record saying that Trump would be the, would be the, would win the nomination and would win the general election. Uh, I was telling MAG Americans in 2020 that I did think that, I did think we'd win re-election, but I told everyone, don't be shocked if Biden wins. And in the 2022 midterms, I was saying that the Dems were going to do better than most thought. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that was pretty pretty consistent accuracy. I think in November, there is going to be a historic repudiation of MAGA and the right wing and the Republican Party. And some of those Republicans, Brad, that you're mentioning there, mm-hmm. who are not really, they're not really, I would say, MAGA Trump supporters, maybe they vote a Republican in the past. And I think there is going to be some fair share number of those voters who are not going to support Trump in the general election. And so I, I think the halfway remark here, and I look, I hope that I'm wrong. I was wrong to support Trump and MAGA. I was wrong to think that no one would care about my leaving MAGA. And I really hope that I'm wrong about Trump being the nominee mm-hmm. and that I I do. I do. I don't think it's wish casting, but I do wish that it comes true what you're saying. I don't think in the primary there's going to be enough momentum against the turnout of the devout MAGA American voters. However, in the general election, uh, I, I am expecting there to be some Republican opposition to Donald Trump. And I think that many of those Republicans who do oppose him will, will perhaps it'll be a hold your nose vote. But I do think that they'll side with Biden. And I think there's going to be a massive turnout amongst single issue voters. Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the renunciation of the Republican Party electorally in November is actually going to shock the country. In fact, I think it may even be comparable to the shock of Trump winning in 2016. And I think the Republican Party knows that's coming, Brad, but they have cornered themselves. If they don't if they don't bend over backwards and acquiesce to Trump, they lose those devout MAGA Americans. If they decide to have Mr. Trump on the ballot, which right now the trends show that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to lose these these more independent Republicans. And I think a lot of these purple voters who could go either way, but I think they'll say, well, do we really want convicted felon as the president of the United States? And I think yeah. they'll start to think about it's probably not going to be good for my my business. It's probably not good for the economy. It's mm-hmm. probably not good for my kids' education to have a felon as president. Well, so I'm, that's what I expect to happen. And I think that's, I, I want to meet you halfway. And I think yeah. that's a good sweet spot for us. Well, let me ask you when it comes, since you know the MAGA people, since you have written about, you know, that you would dream about MAGA, you'd wake up thinking about MAGA each morning, go to bed thinking about it at night. Um, you mentioned the weaponization that, uh, you know, that that's how Donald Trump has certainly been selling it to his supporters. Oh, this is the weaponization of the government. Um, is there not uh, are, are the, the MAGA folks so irreparably brainwashed here that when they see these verdicts one after another, as I expect them to come in, $5 million in E.G. Jean Carroll, another $83.3 million in E.G. Jean Carroll, $300 million perhaps uh, in New York. Are they so brainwashed 
that they are really seeing these, as I said, you know, 100 million here, 100 million there. Soon you're talking about real money that this guy could be looking at, you know, um, half a billion dollars in fines before the week is out. Does that have zero effect on these folks for real? Would it have had zero effect on you, Rich Logis, if you were still uh, MAGA at at the time that this one, uh, was coming down? It wouldn't have affected me. I bought into the mythology that there was uh, there were uh, conspiratorial entities, parties with law enforcement who were colluding against Trump voters and, and MAGA Americans as I was. So it wouldn't have mattered to me, Brad. Uh, in fact, mm. it would have actually strengthened the bond that I felt that I had with Donald Trump because every time he was attacked, whether it was a Democrat or a rhino or Republican in name only, every time there was some legal action, every time there was some accusation, all it did when they were attacking Trump, they were attacking us. Mm. And that and that that mythology about weaponization of law enforcement against Republicans and conservatives, I think this is next point is important for, for listeners to keep in mind is that MAGA is not really new. The entire hysteria and, and the feelings of desperation and panic amongst the right wing, those have existed long before MAGA. Yeah. What Trump was able to do, though, is he simply is the best salesperson of these of this collective set of myths. And so when when he's indicted and when he's found to have been liable for sexual abuse and then defamation, and I believe he will be convicted in the federal cases and in Georgia, for most of the of the of the true believers as I was, it is not going to shake their belief that Trump is still this messianic figure as the only one who can save America and 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 stop what they perceive as the decline of the country. Do I think all do I think some unfortunately probably will never break out of that stupor? Unfortunately, some are. But I'm I'm gonna bank my work of leaving MAGA on the belief that there are more than we realize who eventually over time can emancipate themselves from the manacles of MAGA because we've developed leaving MAGA, our organization that we, we have new, we have developed what we think are new and novel strategies. Hold on, hold on to that uh, thought, uh, Rich, because I do got to get sure. a, do a break here, and I, I want to talk to you about leaving MAGA. I also want to talk to you about uh, uh, what, what you wrote about recently at uh, Salon and how deep the racial panic and trauma go on the right and the fact that the uh, not-yet-dropped-out uh, 2024 uh, candidate Nikki Haley uh, that you claim she knows that, too, and she keeps pretending that slavery wasn't the issue behind the Civil War. We'll try to get to all of that. Uh, I also do want to note, by the way, uh, Donald Trump has, by and large, for now, at least since Friday, he has, by and large, stopped his attacks on uh, E. Jean Carroll, by and large. Uh, he, he did come out right off the bat and say he disagrees with the verdict, that he will be appealing the whole what he described as Biden-directed witch hunt focused on me and the Republican Party. I should note that when E. Jean Carroll filed her lawsuit, um, Joe Biden was not even the candidate 
for, for the Democratic uh, Party, much less the president. So, boy, that Biden is uh, pretty clever to direct that witch hunt before he was even uh, nominated for uh, for running for the office. We'll talk about that and much more with uh, Rich Logis today. And if time allows, um, maybe some of your calls. 818-985-5735 is our number if you're listening in our uh, live listening area in Southern California or via the web stream at kpfk.org, 818-985-KPFK. More, uh, ask a former MAGA if you want to call in and you got a question for Rich Logis. Uh, More with a former ultra MAGA member, Rich Logis, is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Baby, how'd we ever get this way? Baby, how'd we ever get this way? Mm-hmm. Well, I recall How did we get this way? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Perhaps our uh, guest MAGA whisperer Rich Logis can uh, give us some answers there. He spent years as a diehard MAGA supporter voting for Donald Trump in both 2016 and 2020 before, as he described uh, last summer in Newsweek, he went from ultra MAGA to never Trump in a, quote, slow and painful process, which we will discuss in a bit. Rich, uh, thank you for sticking around with us. I want to play uh, some audio here. Michael Schur over at TYT recently released a video of some interviews with MAGA folks outside of a Trump rally in Iowa, I believe this was. Um, is This was Iowa? Yes, yes it is. Yeah, and this was just before the caucuses there. I, I wanted to play a clip of some of those uh, interviews and maybe get some insight from you, Rich, on what I, I think you'll hear seems to be a common theme among the uh, Trump folks that Michael Schur spoke with. Would you rather have four years of Donald Trump as a dictator or four years of President Biden reelected? You, you know, you don't have to like the words that come out of the man's mouth, but sometimes in life we all need a good paddling from the principle to, to set our life on the right track. And this country does need a little bit of that. It, we need a little paddling. I, I hands down believe people wanted it four years ago, three years ago. So, but they didn't vote that way, right? I don't know about that. You you think it was a stolen election? Uh, Without a doubt. The other day, Donald Trump said on his first day he's going to be a dictator for a day. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I like that. Would you rather have Donald Trump as a dictator for four years or reelect Joe Biden for four years? I would rather have Donald Trump. We this country needs a dictator. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Would you rather have four years of uh, Donald Trump as a dictator or four years of Joe Biden as a president? Donald Trump all the way. Even as a dictator? Yes, yes. Would you rather have four years of Donald Trump as a dictator or four years of Joe Biden as a president? 
know, we have a dictator currently, so. Yes, we do. What would you rather have, four years of Donald Trump as a dictator or four more years of Joe Biden as president? I think I'm choosing Donald Trump as a dictator for four more years. You rather have four years of dictator Trump or four years of a Biden presidency? Four years of a dictator Trump. <laughs> yeah, I'm going dictator Trump for sure. <laughs> Would you rather have him as a dictator for four years or Biden as a president for four years? I'd rather have Donald Trump as a dictator for four years. Absolutely. Would you rather have Trump as a dictator uh, or Biden as a president? I'd rather have Trump as a dictator than Biden any day. It's kind of obvious who knows what they're doing. There, there is no dictatorship with Trump. He cares. He's for America. I mean, he did say he would be one for a day. For a day. But I, I still don't see it. <laughs> would you rather have four years of Trump as a dictator or four years no, of Biden? I'd rather have eight years of Trump. No, no, I'm saying would you rather have four years of Trump as a dictator or four years of Biden as a president? Uh, Trump as a dictator. He's and not going to sell us out. Now, I, that was Michael Shore in Iowa speaking with uh, uh, MAGA Trump supporters uh, before the caucuses a week or two ago. Now, I don't know how many folks that uh, Michael Shore actually spoke to or if he selectively edited their responses there. But uh, but knowing Michael a little bit myself, that's not really like him to do that. Um, Rich Logis, as a former uh, MAGA yourself, do those responses sound familiar? And if so, can you explain uh, how the, the thinking works from people who are out there claiming to be, you know, America first, who claim to be patriots fighting for the Constitution. How can it be that all of those people are patriots fighting for the Constitution, but they want a president to actually be a dictator, which seems to be the opposite of our what our uh, democratic republic uh, is, is detailed as in our Constitution? So I, I realized that it may sound eyebrow raising at initially to answer and say that for those individuals who think that they're, they, they have been, they have been so entirely indoctrinated into a way of thinking that as, as, as Americans, they believe that the opposition poses such an existential threat that they are willing to abdicate some of their own freedoms in order to prevent that existential threat of the Democrats to take power. That is a that is a, a principle that was quite prevalent throughout MAGA when I was in it. And unfortunately, there is something of a MAGA Stockholm syndrome at work here because a lot of those voters I mentioned before who maybe are not Maybe they're lukewarm toward Trump. Maybe they were MAGA at one time, but they became lukewarm. When it comes time to pull the lever, even those who don't think that, Brad, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to pull the lever the same as those individuals who were interviewed. And to hear that from people, and it's just something that I ask listeners to think about with, with some empathy, mm-hmm. a lot of what those voters are saying, the ones who were interviewed, they they don't really understand what it is that they are saying, but they have been made just so desperate and so panicked that they are willing to support anyone or anything. I can tell you that that was true for me. I very quickly. Would you have answered to, that, Rich? Would you have answered that question saying, oh, yes, I'll take four years of Trump as a dictator over four years of Joe Biden as president? I, I would not. I would not have said that, but I would have probably come pretty 
close to the next level down, which is what I used to call myself, which was not a Republican and not a conservative, but I actually used to call myself a Trump nationalist. I never identified with Republican and conservative. I may have voted that way, but I looked at Trump as the general in some patriotic war of good and evil. And I was on the good side, the right side, the real Americans and everybody else was on the wrong side. So while that doesn't perhaps quite reach the level of dictator, I would say it's probably in the second tier. And that's what I, that's what I believe. So these individuals, Brad, they, they are, they are speaking as, as people, something has, has been altered in them. And that's what I really want to emphasize about MAGA and right-wing mythologies. They, they, they perniciously change and alter something within us. It's the unseen. It's the, it's the soul that they change. Mm. And that alteration it's going to be very, very difficult for many MAGA Americans to, to break free of that. It will take time. It will take patience for those who have friends and family in MAGA. This is where I really, really stress the patience that will be necessary because it's really hard to have a highly functional democracy when tens and tens of millions of Americans are estranged from their friends and family. That's, mm. These are the kind of comments mm -hmm. I receive every day. And there's a different kind of desperation amongst those who are not in MAGA and they say my my dad my mom my brother my sister my best man my maid of honor I hear it in their voice also I hear this 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 feeling of hopelessness but I think when they hear these types of conversations Brad like we hear now mm -hmm. it it becomes it, it, it becomes to make a little more sense to them that a lot of what we are hearing something has changed in them it has made someone into someone they're not and that's what I think happened with MAGA and I, and I take responsibility for all of my actions and yeah. my rhetoric and my, and my voting. But I do think there is something else at work here more than just mere brainwashing or this, these people are, are bad people in character. They have unfortunately really fallen prey to so much of what the right wing has been selling for many, many years well, with Donald Trump now as their premier salesman. And, and let me jump in there. And I, I do, I promise sure. we will get to uh, leaving MAGA because I think that is absolutely critical and the work that you're doing, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of never Trumpers out there, folks from the right who, you know, have been against uh, Trump from the, from the start. Uh, but so I think the work that you're doing to help uh, these, frankly, cult members uh, be deprogrammed is is critical, and I want to talk about that. But, you know, the alternative to Donald Trump on the Republican side, uh, if there is one, would now appear to be former South Carolina governor and, and Trump's former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley. She uh, failed to mention slavery as the cause for the Civil War. And um, during what I guess was her, her mop-up on that, she claimed uh, when she was asked about it by Fox News uh, host Brian Kilmeade, um, she claimed that the U.S. has never been a racist country. Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try and be more perfect mm -hmm. every day that we can. So, uh, Rich, you, you wrote a, a bit about all of this recently in Salon. You began your piece by uh, writing that, qu uh, quote, Nikki Haley is not a racist. Before going on to explain that, uh, quote, as a former MAGA activist now working to persuade people to leave the MAGA movement, I see Haley's recent comments on the Civil War and slavery in a particular light. They reflect the intense white fright 
pervasive in MAGA supporters as a result of continuous demographic change, and they affirm that a demythologization, can you say that word for me? Demythologization of of historical nostalgia is necessary. But isn't anyone who would feed into that myth uh, and, and, and of course, the myth itself, indeed a racist. Is it fair to say, oh, well, those are the MAGA folks. Those are not, you know, Nikki Haley and her supporters. They're uh, they're fine. They're old school uh, Republicans. But isn't she uh, banging that same drum, really, with comments like that, that U.S. has never been a racist nation? Really? So at the risk of raising eyebrows again mm-hmm. uh, and trying and trying to, in, in a nuanced way, deconstruct this, I can't know what's in Nikki Haley's heart and soul, but I'm quite skeptical that she that she believes that. I don't think that Nikki Haley actually believes what she's saying. She knows that slavery is is the cause of the Civil War. She knows that the United States has a very, very long history. And yes, we've made progress on it, but we do have a long and lengthy history of of white privilege that was enshrined for for economic and legal reasons Mm -hmm. for white individuals, in Mm -hmm. particular for men. Mm -hmm. I know that she knows this history. And she, if you even think back to after the Charleston mass shooting at the AME church, even when she advocated for and got done to her credit, she got it done. The Confederate flag hasn't been removed from the South Carolina Capitol. Even to this day, I really don't think that she was very I don't think she was fully at ease and comfortable doing it. And these remarks that she makes that we're not a racist nation and slavery and the Civil War was about some some answer, meandering answer she gave. And I look, I, I appreciate meandering answers. I give them all the time. Hers was really meandering about what the government can do and, 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 and freedoms. And it, and it just, it just fed this Hydra that has existed for so long in the right wing about states rights. And, and, and when I was in MAGA, okay, I didn't buy into the white replacement theory, but it was a pretty common topic of conversation that we would look at what was the inevitable uh, demographic change where whites would, would not be the majority anymore. And then yeah. inevitably America would be a majority minority country. Okay. And so for, for, for those, for those in MAGA, especially the ones I was around of a certain age, maybe not quite senior citizens, but those who have, who have been involved in politics for many decades, they looked at the inevitable demographic change of the United States and said, this is not going to, to benefit us. But that is racism. And, is it not? I mean, I, I, I uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think what it what it is, is that for those who have this white fright now, of course, some of them are racist. I will not deny that. And, and unfortunately, they, they do exist and they have existed and they will exist. But for those who maybe are change averse, OK, it is just a natural it's inherent in our in, in our in the homo sapiens species that we are change averse. So mm-hmm. when. MAGA voters, especially of a certain age, they there are these natural fears and concerns about change. When they when they look at demographic changes, Brad, they're especially of a certain age. They were used to seeing white men and women, in particular, more men than women, in positions of power and influence. So visually, as they saw the country start to diversify, some of those natural fears and concerns kicked in, which was about getting older and healthcare. So they don't for those who have that fright. 
I don't believe that all of them are racist, but what they don't realize is that how they think, that way of thinking is has come from bequeathed many, many generations down that those types of beliefs and mythologies come from those who intentionally have sowed racial discord well, over and, the years. And, and, yes. and Nikki Haley understands that about the MAGA base because the, the, the typical voter for Nikki Haley are, are the Acela conservatives, right? The, the country club conservatives. Mm-hmm. But there aren't enough of those who vote in the primaries to win the nomination. So Nikki Haley just... She just has this tiptoeing act of trying to propitiate and, and appeal to and placate all these various groups. So she's she is someone who embodies the she stands for nothing but stands for everything type candidate. And eventually that sticks out over time, because in comparison, in contrast to Donald Trump, he's always the way that he is. So we just come get used to how well, he is, you know, and Americans vote for him. In one sense, if she uh, if she knows better and she's still using language like that, if she's not a racist, in some sense, it's even more despicable because she knows that her potential voters are. And as 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 you know, as well as anyone rich uh, since escaping MAGA, if you will, you can't really be manipulated to believe something uh, like that, unless you are already inclined to want to believe something like that. And if she's willing uh, to manipulate her her potential voters, I mean, in using that uh, that sort of language, especially even if she knows better, isn't that ultimately racist if you it, know it, better yes. and you still do it? it? it's it's what it is is exploiting. She, rather than be honest, because she knows that what she's saying, I believe, is not true. Mm-hmm. So she has just so she she has as a campaign. It is one exercise after another. And just like it was with Ron DeSantis, my governor, another one who simply went on a on a, on a his entire campaign, just as Miss Haley's is, is about ex, it's about exploitation of knowing that there are there is this panic that is within most MAGA vote in the MAGA world, mm-hmm. which is predominantly comprised demographically of white Americans. Mm-hmm. So she knows that. And instead of actually leading and saying, yes, there are changes. And, and yes, uh, over time, we have progressed. Because I think you can say that the system of race still exists, meaning anti-Black, anti-immigrant. As I always think racism should be specified as anti-Black, anti-religious minority, anti-immigrant, etc. Instead of actually leading and saying, yes, those changes have occurred, that our country's better for it, and then she could and then get booed. If you're getting booed off the stage and you're honest, you should be able to sweep well at night. But that's not what she's well, done. That is not what she's done. No. And she knows, and she know I believe that she knows that what she's doing is leading these people further astray, because they've been led astray, some of them for generations and all she's doing is continuing. Right, which is why uh, you know ultimately I would argue that uh what she's doing is frankly no better than what Donald Trump is doing. She's just not as good at it as he is. Rich, uh the last time you were on we got just a few more minutes here. Uh we spoke about your 
uh, quote, slow and painful awakening that, in fact, you had become a part of a cult. Uh, since we spent a good portion of our last conversation on that, I don't want to uh, go into all of the details here again. But very quickly, just if you can, if it can even be quickly summarized, just to let folks know, how did you actually come to awaken to the fact that you were in a cult and you had to get out? What was it? What was the the the, the trigger that that finally turned you after all of those years? The catalyst was actually in the summer of 2021, and it was Ron DeSantis. It was not Trump. When mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis flip-flopped on the efficacy and the importance of the COVID vaccine, it was during Delta, and we saw children befalling ill and, and dying from COVID. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking Ron DeSantis is going to divorce himself from the anti-vaccine hysteria that had permeated itself all across MAGA, and he didn't. So it was like running into a brick wall, Brad, and I mean that. And the first emotion that I had was was confusion and it was that confusion mm. that commenced my doubts there was also january 6 and coming to realize that the forces and, and groups that led to that insurrection were not only well funded and well coordinated i thought they were hobbyist groups but they also had the blessing of the most powerful person in the world and so when i came to these two lines of demarcation it took me an entire year to get through my confusion my my realization that I was wrong, I knew that I was going to leave behind a second family mm-hmm. of my fellow MAGA Americans, but I could no longer support a, 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 an ideology and a movement that, ex- that made acceptable, avoidable deaths and suffering and also defended politically motivated violence. There were two lines of demarcation, a Rubic- two Rubicons I could not cross. And I will say that if I crossed them, I don't think I'd ever come out of MAGA. Mm. Once I crossed and there'd have been no coming back from it. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I was to admit that I was wrong. And I'm so happy that people actually care about our work to, to, to look to empower others to leave MAGA. And so you came out, you came out, I guess, essentially on your own. You found it within yourself. Uh, I know that you have been setting up the organization you mentioned, Leaving MAGA, uh, to sort of help uh, to help others also see the light there and find a catalyst uh, to come out of that cult and or to help uh, family members. And I think we all have family members who have slipped into uh, into MAGA world. And it's heartbreaking. It's troubling. Um, tell me about uh, leaving MAGA and and what the what the plan is, because I think it's really important. Like I said, there's a lot of people helping, uh, you know, opposing Donald Trump. But as far as helping these people who I believe have been taken in by the great long con of Donald Trump and to a certain extent, to a, lo- a broader extent, the Republican Party, frankly, how do. Uh, how are you helping? Uh, how are you planning to approach uh, that and and help these folks move beyond MAGA? I'm of the belief, and I'm going to hedge a bet on my organization that if someone was if someone got into MAGA, they can get out of it. And for family members who are out there hearing this and and thinking, "Wow, I I, I, need, I need a way I need a way to to better engage." my friends and family who are in MAGA, we're going to develop strategies that are going to, that are going to hone in on relatability, humanizing the, the individual and, and creating a dialogue where we can say, even if we don't agree, we can say, okay, we understand maybe some of the reasons why you, why you supported Trump, but do you understand some of the reasons why others vehemently oppose him? And 
if someone who's very pro MAGA, Brad, it speaks to someone who's very anti MAGA, mm-hmm. I guarantee if they speak long enough, they're going to find some issues that they have some common ground and agreement on. And so for those out there who, who, are, who are thinking that the way to approach engaging MAGA voters is to vilify them, I, I would ask everyone to reconsider that because if vilification of Trump voters actually helped them leave MAGA, everybody would have left at this point because there have been billions of words mm-hmm. penned and spoken about how Trump voters are the devil incarnate. Mm-hmm. And while I can understand the feelings of frustration, the feelings of how are we actually gonna do this? Well, the hardest part is actually getting started. And I think with leaving MAGA, and I'm not saying this in any way, uh, in, in any way to sound supercilious on this, but I think with leaving MAGA, the messenger matters. Because it's gonna be a little harder for those who are in MAGA and for those who have f- friends and family to tune me out. I'm not the New York Times. I'm not the Washington Post. I'm not a Mitt Romney Republican. Mm-hmm. So when I go into a room, whether it's people with friends and family in MAGA or those who are very, very deep in the MAGA world, unfortunately, every square inch of the country has been affected in some way by MAGA. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not good news, but there is an opportunity before us. And when we start getting in front of other MAGA Americans and their friends and family, I think that the way that we're going to engage people with the strategies we're developing, it's 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 going to it's going to be something that is unheard and unseen in the marketplace. So because it's unseen and unheard, I believe it is going to make people I, I do think this it's it's going to make people look at what it is that we're doing as led by someone who is actually in this world yep. and lives to tell to come out of it, because I can relate to these voters to some extent. I understand some of the reasons they supported Trump, yep. but in asking their consent, can I tell you why I left? It's gonna be a bit harder for them to look the other way with me. And mm. that's where I—that's where we're gonna build our movement and our team. And I do think over time that we are gonna see people leave MAGA. It's gonna take time. I think there are more out there who are in the nascent stages of remorse because ultimately, Brad, the strength and the numbers of leaving MAGA, it's gonna be in how many we can encourage and empower to lead and tell their stories publicly. As I said, I think it's uh, critical work that you are doing, just really beginning to do here, uh, Rich Logis. I got to get out, but where can uh, folks uh, get more information? Where can they help uh, support what you are uh, trying to do with leaving MAGA? I know you've got your uh, perfectourunion.us website, which links to a, a bunch of your uh, your work, your writings uh, in various uh, sources. Uh, but is there now a specific uh, leaving MAGA organization or address to point folks towards? We, we've got the uh, organization technically up and running, but IRS, uh, legal, blah, blah, blah. So anyone right now to reach me, if you want to speak to me about mm-hmm. friends, family who are in MAGA, and also to find out as soon as leaving MAGA is officially up and running, visit us at perfectourunion.us. We've got a contact form. It'll come okay. directly to me. We've got our writings there. And I will make sure that everybody who contacts us, they're going to find out as soon as leaving MAGA is up and running because we're going to need, Brad, we're going to need movement builders out there. And, and leaders who are going to help us because this is about collaboration, not competition. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need those strength in numbers. We're going to need as many. I'll, I'll go wherever I need to go, <laughs> but we need to we need to uh, to exponentially get those efforts out there because we got we've got very big and epic goals for this organization. Well, and you have uh, proven that case if only uh, by coming on the broadcast so far twice. I hope there will be more. Uh, you you uh, you you write occasionally over at places like Daily Coast, which are about as left as. 
I guess you can possibly be, at least for someone who has been a, a, a Republican all of their life, even a, a right-wing pundit uh, who spent six or seven years as ultra-MAGA. Um, so I, I have nothing but uh, respect and uh, support for what you do moving forward. Please stay in touch, Rich Logis. Once again, you can find him and uh, touch base at perfectourunion.us. Uh, also on Twitter at perfectourunion. Rich, great speaking with you, by the way. Uh, and, and thank you for uh, – I know we had to move dates around for some breaking news and for some breaking uh, Brad COVID. So uh, thank you for your flexibility. Always great speaking with you, my friend. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks, Brad. See you and Desi and the team. And again, congratulations on the 20-year anniversary. Thank you, sir. You're very kind. All right. We have uh, we've got to get out. My apologies to those folks uh, who called in on the phone that I could not get to. Uh, you said, Des, you said uh, there was uh, someone who was... Uh, well, there are people who were curious about right? uh, how Rich would answer their specific concerns about what they prefer about, uh, say, Donald Trump as their nominee. So I think those questions would be more best directed to Rich uh, at his website, which I think you said was perfectourunion.us. You've got one caller here who uh, said that Trump didn't start any wars. Biden is a warmonger. I am anti war War, so tell me what my alternative is. Well, uh, I know Trump loves to say he didn't start any wars, but he did a whole lot of military-ing. Uh, he expanded drone strikes uh, in a big way. He assassinated a revered Iranian general. He incited, of course, an attack on the U.S. Capitol. So... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, to call Donald Trump anti-war, as far as what your choices are, uh, I think you're going to get, well, I'm going to leave that for another day. Uh, thanks again to everyone. Thanks to our producer. Thanks to Rich Logis, of course. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Wendell Handy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we have ever done, you can please stop by bradblog.com and download it for free. That's made possible thanks to those of you who have supported us over these past 20 years. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you at all of the above until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/donate.